Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. Oh boy, did I get a lot of interesting snippets from this episode. I really enjoyed it. And I think it's probably tied for or is my favorite episode thus far. So I think you'll enjoy it too. Clinton Sparks is the Vice President of Business Development at FaZe Clan. He was monumentally responsible and a big part of their recent $40 million Series A that involved a laundry list of rappers, DJs, artists, and sports celebrities. And there is so much to learn from this man. He is very outgoing um, and he's quite well-spoken too. He's got a new book coming out. We talk about that a bit as well. So enjoy the episode. I know I did. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all, that's perfectly fine. We're able to offer it up to you for free. You can pay now, you can pay later, you can choose whatever you want. The course is usually $127 AUD. You can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford. Hopefully, this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term. Clinton, mate, welcome. The second uh, senior person at FaZe to come on the podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you very much for having me. Who was the first? Jeff. Jeff Pabst. CRO. Yes, Jeff's the man. But then again, you are the first to come on a LinkedIn Live. Jeff Jeff was the audio-only version, so you could say you're a pioneer in that sense. Get familiar. (laughs) Fantastic. So, mate, I think... You know, everyone who's listening to this podcast very much likely knows who FaZe is, so I don't think they need an introduction. But I'd love to get a quick introduction into you, your history, and coming into the space because you've had a fairly, I guess, non-traditional entry into the esports and gaming market. Uh, yes. So is the question, how did I get into the esports world? Yeah, yeah. And what's your and what's your general history in, in business and, and the other interesting stuff you've done? Uh, well, that's not a quick answer then there, Chris. Uh, so... For those that don't know me, um, I'm mostly known as a Grammy-nominated multi-platinum uh, DJ and producer, sold over 75 million records. I've helped watch the careers of people like DJ Snake, who I've discovered and found, and signed him back in 2007, all the way up until 60 million records later. Um, I was P. Diddy's tour DJ. I helped Eminem launch Shade 45. I've built uh, successful e-commerce sites. I've built many multi-million dollar businesses throughout my career. Um, and yeah, one of the things, how I got from that into esports is uh, the president of FaZe Clan, his name is Greg Selko. He was the founder and CEO of a company called Karmaloop.com, which was the world's biggest um, uh, streetwear online fashion website. It made $130 million a year. Um based out of Boston. So I used to run marketing over there. And then when he ended up coming over to, you know, when we ran marketing over there, we built some of the biggest brands that still are relevant today. And, you know, Kanye to Jay-Z to Pusher, all those guys would come over to Karma Loop because Karma Loop was the shit. Um, so when he um, when he came over to eSports, he stumbled upon it himself, as most people, as most of the executives in phase uh, were unfamiliar with um, – esports when we got on board and it was just a fascinating new thing that kind of landed on a lot of our laps and because we're all so fluent um in culture in business that is you know we just understood 
oh, this is what this is. Great. If we start plugging these things into it, it will amplify it and make it something special and different than what, you know, a typical maybe traditional esports team would be. So he called me one day. He goes, hey, man, I'm in this office in Hollywood. This team, FaZe Clan, esports, just come here. So I was like, all right. <laughs> so uh, I just drove there. I walked in there. Like Everyone's running around the office. It was all new and fresh. There's a bunch of people. It was like, it was like the boiler room. We're like, it was like the Wolf of Wall Street. Everyone's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I walk in. I'm like, what is this? He goes, dude, esports. It's the future. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, what do you mean? So we, we talked for like a half hour. Um, literally that day, I invested my own money before I even started working there. Because I was like, this is dope. I already get where you're coming from. I can already see just from what you told me where this is going. I'm in. So then he was like, yeah, we need your brain here. This is something incredible. And we want you to get in. So that's, you know, two years. Uh, matter of fact, tomorrow is my second year anniversary uh, being at FaZe Clan. So from the day one, I started at FaZe Clan. My mind was immediately like, all right, cool. How do I introduce this world to other relevant worlds that are making noise in culture that don't know about this? So that was my, you know, immediate reaction to how do I, um, you know, install uh, other cool, other cultures, um, things from other worlds that don't know about esports or that esports is not, doesn't have involved in esports yet. Yeah, I think there's there's two things that I super often talk about with FaZe and it seems that you just reiterated them, which is number one, which is content and content first. And that's led by the culture that is phase. I think I've, you know, said quite a few times in in some of these podcasts recently that I think a lot of esports teams just do content because it's a thing they think they're supposed to do, right? And it's not something that's thought about so much. Where phase seems to be the opposite. And even, and you know, I even said this um, the other day, two days ago, in a LinkedIn live with with a business development from Tempo Storm, and not meaning any offense, saying that it's almost like if you've got a sliding scale. I believe that on one side you've got a traditional sports team style setup, which is say a cloud nine or a team solo mid. Then you've got someone in the middle, which is maybe like a hundred thieves, which is equal parts, esports and content. And then you've got all the way on the left, you've got someone like FaZe Clan with, yes, you have a rainbow six siege team. You have a decent CSGO team, a good COD roster, but the most people that I know who are Instagrammers with a hundred thousand to 5 million followers, they don't follow phase because of their acumen in call of duty. They don't follow phase because of their acumen at Fortnite world cup. They follow because of the Lamborghinis. They follow because of the streetwear. They follow because of offset investing into them of the fundraising campaigns and this kind of stuff. So I assume, you know, am I correct in saying that, that it's really that, that ethos of phase is about setting that culture first. 100% back to what you were saying that some people are creating content because they feel like it's the thing to do. Look, you can't force cool, right? Um, Mm. You're either funny or you're not. You're either a hustler or you're not. You're either cool or you're not, right? So people that phase, you know, the talent, they don't create content because they're like, oh, man, I think I got to create content because it's something somebody else is doing and that's what can maybe make me cool. It's what Mm. they've always been doing and it's what's natural to them. So like in any business, for you to really uh, propel and excel past anybody that may be considered a competitor, uh, you have to have the passion. You have to have the drive, right, and the self-motivation. And that's what FaZe has. I mean, nobody does it because they have to. Everybody does it because they want to and because it's ingrained in their soul. It's part of their DNA to do dope shit, to be creative, to create dope content, to figure out, like, oh, this is dope. Let's do this, right? Not 
and no one's even paying attention to what anybody else is doing. We're just thinking what's dope in the world and doing it because it's dope to us, not following mm. the lead of somebody else. Because to be quite frankly, to be quite frank, we are the lead. You know what I mean? So, you know, you mentioned uh, an Instagram post I posted the other day when somebody asked me at a conference, you know, how do other orgs catch up? And my answer was simply like, they don't. Because while you're watching what we're doing today um, and trying to catch up to that, behind the scenes, we're already worrying about next year. So the minute you catch up to this, we're already moved on to next year's plan. And it's just like in the music industry, like, Mm. you know, if an artist comes out with music, you know, and they win, they got a successful, popular album. All the producers in the world are now trying to make songs that sound like the album they just made and pitch it to that artist. But any really great mm. talent is always evolving and looking to move past what they just did. So while you're making beats to fit what he already made, the smart producer is making what that artist should be making next. And, you know, that's what phase is, is like, what's next? We'll tell you what's next. And do you guys do you guys feel that pressure? I mean, one thing you see from video from video game development companies or even artists, right, is they have that one hit wonder, and then they talk about there's that pressure to perform, there's that pressure to follow up. Like, do you guys feel that at phase as well? If you know, like you said, you guys very strongly believe you're leading the industry. Are you you know watching really carefully where you step, or is it really just this is what we think cool, or this is what we think is cool? We're just going to go and do it and see how it goes. No, I, I, don't, I don't. You know, look at. I can't speak for all the talent, but I think I speak for us as a, as a whole conglomerate is that we're just always focused on next. We're not like relishing in like, you know, that success yesterday. We're worried about the success tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's been like my model my whole entire career. Um, it's why I continue to propel throughout my personal career is because I never just sit and say, yes, look how awesome I am. What I just did today I'm thinking about, all right, what can we do awesome tomorrow? And I think that's kind of a sentiment the whole organization shares um, from the executive side to the management side to the talent side, production side. Everyone's striving to be better than they were yesterday. So, and when we do something fantastic, like land a, a big deal with Nissan or, you know, have tremendous success with a merch drop or even have, you know, win a tournament, um, no one's sitting there, you know, celebrating for the next two, three weeks or trying to live off what we just did. Everyone's just trying to keep, it's almost if you knock someone on the ground, you're not just standing there. You're like, keep pounding them down. You're going to stay knocked down. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting yeah. So that's kind of the mentality. Man, that's a good lead in. I'm waiting for your first MMA investor. Or do you guys have one? I'm, I'm finding it hard to keep up. You're familiar with Tyron Woodley. Who ah, there you go. UFC and part of FaZe Clan. Yep. Yeah. Let's just take a step back for a second as well. Can you explain to everybody listening and me where you sit within the organization and who the other senior management are and maybe a little bit of an idea as to their backgrounds? Like do other people, you mentioned a streetwear background from one of them. You mentioned obviously your, your heavy music and business past. Um, I'd love to learn about the other rest of the executive team. Right, sure. So let's start with the CEO, Lee Trink. He's a former president of Capital Records. Uh, he was a manager of Kid Rock. So he's been in the music business for many years. So he has a lot of experience with managing talent, understanding the business of music, which, you know, I I like to say uh, every single industry is parallel to the music industry, right? Um, So, you know, he understands all that. Greg Selko, Mm -hmm. the president, you know, he comes from fashion and that culture. And you have uh, Xavier Ramos, who also comes from the music business. He's part of business development. Uh, uh, Jeff Paps, who you already spoke to with the sales. 
We have uh, Femi, who heads up our production. We have uh, Darren Yan, who's a uh, head of uh, management, and he used to have his own talent management companies. Uh, he worked for, um, was it CAA or one of those talent agencies? So he has a lot of experience in that. Uh, there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Who else am I missing? Uh, oh, Will Eddins, who's, um, who's been a part of Karma Loop for years, and he's really instrumental in uh, helping with uh, fashion and cool and bringing that in. Like He's the one that brought in a champion phase collaboration. Uh, he's the one that introduced the NFL uh, uh, activation that we did last year uh, with phase that then helped with this virtual NFL draft that we just did. So like, if you pay attention to how I'm describing all these people, they all come from culture, entertainment, and business. And when you put that all together and you make a stew of all of those things, you have a successful organization in the world's largest lifestyle gaming brand called FaZe Clan. Yeah, it seems interesting. There's so many likenesses between FaZe Clan and, and music. I mean, you've got a, a slew of, of rapper investors and other artists, you know, DJs, et cetera. You've got a lot of your, um, you know, senior team, including yourself from the music space. And I think it's important what you said is that music Music seems to set culture most of the time. You know, when well, rap's a big thing, what are people wearing? When pop was a big thing, right. what are people wearing? Right. Well, I like to say, like, uh, like, so I was pitching every rapper from day one for two years. I reached out to Jay-Z, to Puff, to Fat Joe, to Swiss Beast, to French Montana, to you name it, right? Little Pump. Every, every rapper in the game I was mm-hmm. reaching out to, trying to get them familiar with FaZe Clan and esports and why they should get down with this. And the reason being is, you know, gaming and hip hop have always been in a relationship. Uh, if you go to a barbershop, there's a gaming system there. You go to a recording studio, there's a gaming system there. As far back as Def Jam Vendetta, to rappers mm-hmm. handling Super Mario's and sound effects and Street Fighter and their songs. Like, it's always been a relationship between hip hop and gaming. They just never committed, right? It was a loose, mm-hmm. open relationship, right? So I looked at it like, you know, these guys need to realize they actually have a love for one another and should be exclusively dating, if you will, right? So that's kind of like, I'm like, you guys love each other. You guys have late night booty calls. You guys are like, why don't you just make it official? So that's why I started reaching out to all the rappers. And I brought in Offset. I brought in Yo Gotti, Sway Lee, Pitbull, Ray J, DJ Paul from 3-6 Mafia, um, you know, I brought all these rappers in as investors to FaZe Clan and, you know, a lot of them didn't, they didn't even understand. The only, the only person that understood gaming was Offset because he's a real gamer, right? Yeah. But, um, but like nobody really understood esports. They didn't understand the growth trajectory of the business or the industry that gaming is a part of. Um, I really had to educate them, not only educate them about the actual industry, but also show them how it can be they can it can be advantageous for them to be a part of it how they can use it to amplify their brands and how they can build ancillary businesses within this fast-growing industry that i every day i see opportunities where people can do stuff because you know we know about it and there's a lot of people that watch the show that get esports but that's like the one percent you know what i mean you talk to an mm-hmm. average person they're like you say esports they're like well what do you mean like ea sports like if they even yeah. know that you know what i'm saying like I called Mark Wahlberg uh, maybe a year ago, and I was like, hey, what do you know about esports? And he's like, shit. And I was like, uh, you know, do you let your kids play video games? And he was like, yeah, maybe like two hours a week. And I said to Michael, imagine if your mother and my mother only let us do music two hours a week. 
neither one of us would be here today. And he was like, okay. So then I started explaining it to him. And then after, you know, about, about a half hour talking to him about it, he went from not letting his kids play to, you know, facetiously saying to his, his wife, like, honey, we got to let our kids play more fucking video games. Because now he realizes it's the same thing as putting your kid in Little League baseball or Pop Warner football or, you know, encouraging them to play basketball or play a sport or be an actor or be something else. It's another business. It's another career choice. It's another way that a kid can be super successful. It's why colleges give scholarships for it now. It's why high school sanctioned an official sport because it's another way out from a kid, you know, from a, you know underprivileged neighborhood or a tough situation. It's another way out. It's another way to be successful off of something you love doing. So, you know, once you really start making people understand that and make parents understand that more, because, you know, it's really, it's kind of the same thing like with hip-hop, again, using the hip-hop reference. When I was a kid, parents would be like, that's not music. Oh, that's troublemaking music. Oh, you're wasting your life. It's almost the same exact thing where parents don't get it. They don't understand yeah. how big this is and what it can be. And by the way, it's growing way faster than hip hop grew, and it's way easier to see how you can be successful in esports and gaming than it was when hip hop was starting out. Yeah, that's for sure. In like you guys have a lot of NBA investors, and there's been in the news. I feel like the past five years has been kind of the rise of the of the NBA investor. But are rappers investing, whether it's not esports or in anything else? Is it is it common in that market at all? Um, in what market? In esports? Just in just in anything. Like, I mean, if if you look at if you look at all the case studies of NBA players buying yeah. esports teams, buying the cannabis companies, et cetera, et cetera. But is is rap is like with, within rapping and rapping culture, is investment a common place, or is not only phase new but just investing as a whole? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, rappers or hip hop artists uh, that are great entrepreneurs that invest. I mean, Pitbull, who invested in Phase Clan, he's a serial entrepreneur. I mean, that's what he does. I mean, when you look at, you know, hip hop idolizes Jay-Z and Diddy because they're recognized as moguls who have done entrepreneurial power plays um, mm. to become that successful by making investments, you know, whether it's in Ciroc or, you know, it's in a spirit or it's in a, a sporting team or it's in a clothing brand or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, a lot of people invest. I mean, I actually don't even know any rappers that have been around for a while that haven't invested. You know what I mean? And, and I think the younger generation, if they haven't yet, they're growing up in a time where they're taught pretty immediately that investing in doing smart business is a wise choice. You know, when we were all coming up, mm -hmm. it wasn't really accessible. The internet wasn't, it didn't have the Gary V's and the Tony Robbins and all these people and, and giving you this advice. And look, there's no secrets anymore to success, right? If, if you're not successful, it's just because you're lazy. Everything is on the internet. All the information you need to about, about any topic you want to succeed in, it's on the internet. You don't got to go find a teacher. You don't got to go pay for schooling. You don't got to go spend the whole day in a library. Or, you don't got to do it. Just get on the internet. It's there. Everything you need to know is there. So if you're not successful, it, I mean, to be successful, you first have to have passion and self-motivation to want to do something, right? To want to be great. Um, yeah. The problem is a lot of this generation is focused on being famous and not great. And I got a new book coming out um, in May, How to Win Big in the Music Business. And one of the chapters is titled, Famous Will Make You Great, but Great, no, Famous Doesn't Make You Great, but Great Can Make You Famous. 
And, you know, I think if people focus on being great and they have an idea of what they want to be great at, all the information is at your fingertips on the internet. If you don't, yeah. if you're not successful, want to be successful at, then you're just lazy or you're an idiot. I'd love to learn more about Offset's relationship with FaZe as well. You said that, that you were part of bringing him in. It seems that it seems that as an investor in gaming and esports, he's so much more publicly committed than anyone else I've seen. Like obviously Steve Aoki's in in Rogue. I haven't seen too much there. Yeah. Um, you know, J Lo is in, invested as well. I haven't seen much from her. But Offset, you know, we've seen him front and center so much. We've seen him on Phase's Instagram on his own. You know, he did the Atlanta Phase kickoff as well, where he brought those fifty disadvantaged kids through. You know, to come and watch the tournament and stuff as well. I'd love to learn about that relationship between phase and offset is it is it him pushing to do more with you guys is it you pushing to do more than him tell me a bit more about that it's both it's uh it's a it's so when i first approached offset um you know it was a five month back and forth conversation with him and his team and his manager who's his manager is amazing latavia so uh we talked back and forth for five years you know i was really educating her on the space um she had a lot of great questions as any smart manager should, should ask, protecting their client. Uh, we went through that uh, moment with Tifu. So, you know, that was of concern um, for her to get involved. And, you know, they had some opportunities to get involved with some other orgs that were actually offering him some equity just here, his some equity, represent us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were going back and forth, and I was trying to get them to invest and talking to them about why it would be advantageous to invest with us than it would be to just go there for free. Um, so it goes back to what I was saying. Offset is a real gamer and Offset is a part of creating culture, right? So he understands that gaming is a part of culture. He's also part of moving hip hop culture. He also understands fashion culture, sneaker culture. So he gets that culture and everything about culture what's cool, what's not cool, and what goes together. And he's smart enough to know that gaming, music, fashion, you know, esports is all encompassing. Like every everybody in youth culture, that's all they care about. Music, social media, gaming, fashion. What else does any kid care about, right? Yeah. He knows that. So he realizes, you know, being part of FaZe, how to leverage that to help the things that he's doing and then also help phase from the things that he has going on. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship with both parties because phase can uplift things he's doing and offset can uplift, uplift phase uh, and what they're doing. And like you said, hmm. you know, I think offset joining phase is probably single handedly one of the most culturally esports culturally forward moving uh, components of it becoming more popular to mainstream because once he got involved, like you mentioned some other names, J-Lo and Drake and Steve Aoki, it's like, okay, you get that quick flash. They did it. But then what happened? You know what I'm saying? Like Offset's still here. He's going on TMZ. He's doing activations. He's doing initiatives. He's wearing a phase chain. He's phasing up. You know, he's doing interviews with Forbes and CNN and New York Times and Washington Post. He's taking all of his business and whenever he has an opportunity to talk about one, like any smart entrepreneur would do, they make sure you're aware of the other things that he's a part of too. And esports mm-hmm. and phase clan is one of those things. And I'm proud and fortunate enough to be 
single-handedly the reason why Offset is is in Phase Clan. Yeah, I was talking with a with a young and upcoming esports team in Australia the other day, and we were getting like towards the end of our of our hour chat together, and then they dropped a bombshell. One of them was like, "Hey, you know, I'm actually really good friends with a world champion MMA fighter." And he's also a gamer and said the same thing that I'm sure you would have said. I was like, what the hell? Why is he not representing your team right now? Like yeah. give him some equity for free and get him on the front page. And then when he wins his title defense, which, you know, he, he very likely could do, get him on the microphone to start talking about your team instantly. And that's, it's been really interesting to me. See about that. And that's what, that's another big difference from phase and maybe another organization is that we don't just jump on bandwagons and we're not interested in, making you phase because you're super popular, right? It has to be organic. It has to make sense. Like Offset, everyone that came in, you know, you have some guys that are just investors. Offset didn't just come in as an investor. He came in as part of phase, right? So mm. the difference, like somebody can come in as an investor, represent and, and, you know, use that as leverage to show that, you know, they're smart and making an investment in esports or that they're down with like a cool brand like phase. But that's very different than, you know, like a, a, like Nigel Houston, for instance, or a little Yachty, who organically, the talent in them just built a relationship because they just fuck with each other. You know what I'm saying? Like they respect each mm-hmm. other. They, they relate to the same thing. And they're just like, yo, let's just be down. It's almost like the same way you decide to be friends with somebody. You know what I mean? Like if your mother's mm-hmm. like, hey, there's a boy down the street that wears the same clothes as you. You should be friends. Like, that's not how it works, ma. You know what I mean? So it's like the yeah. same. It's like, no, if I see that dude and we happen to run into each other and we kick it and he's cool and maybe something will come out of that. You know, it's the same kind of theory with us at FaZe. And that's why it's so natural and organic. And that's why everyone looks like it's a family because it actually is. It didn't contrive. It's not let's just recruit somebody because he has status and we want to, you know, leverage his status to help lift us up. It has to make sense. Mm. So how does it work with the, with the slew of people you've brought in in this, in this recent uh, 40 million Series A? Do you have a mixture? Some people who want to be really involved, some who want to be a bit more silent? Yeah, again, like I said, some of them are just strictly investors and then some come in, you know, because they love gaming, they love esports, and, you know, we, we introduce them to talent and talent's like, hey, yeah, they're cool, da, da, da. It's really how it works. If it's one or the other, you know what I mean? It's either you're just an investor and you're a part of like the the team as it relates to the family being investment team, and you're down with phase and you're invited to all the events and you get the swag and all and you have access. But it's it's different than, you know, someone like Little Yachty or, you know, Nigel Houston who just will just go to the house and hang out just because. You know what I mean? It's not like a mm. It's only because there's some kind of business thing going on. It's like, yo, I'm coming out of the house. Let's just hang out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't mean we have to film content. It doesn't mean anything has to be going on business-wise. It's just a natural, like, you can go by the face house and, like, at any given time, somebody's there. You're like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Like, this dude's here. And, like, you know, it's funny because when I first started uh, being down with phase and we got the houses and we some of the executive team would go over there, you just see like random celebrities there and you're just like, how do we benefit from this? You know, you're thinking that as a business mind, you're like, oh shit, we should be creating content. We should be doing this. How do we get them down? And then the way that we seen the talent operate is like, it wasn't about that, bro. It's almost like, ah, chill, bro. Like, we'll see. If it happens, it happens. And that's just kind of the mentality as it relates to like 
the founders and talent. A super interesting thing I forgot to mention as well. I, I read one of uh, one of Offset's um, interviews, and he said, you know, by announcing his investment in Phase, he grew by a couple hundred thousand Instagram followers himself. So I think that kind of proves the five five hundred thousand. As soon as he joined Phase, yeah. that was one of the things I was trying to convince, you know, his manager at the time, because you know, look, he's a he's a conglomerate by himself. He's part of one of the biggest groups in the world, and he himself yeah. is awesome, right? So if I'm his manager, I'm going to look at it too, like, you know, what's in it for him? Look how popular and big he is. Look what he means to culture, right? So when you don't understand yeah. what esports and what phase means to culture, it's kind of difficult for someone to wrap their head around when you come back and say, yeah, but he stands to benefit a lot too by joining phase. You know what I mean? Like it's mm. hard for them to understand that because they're just like, really? Like he's offset with Migos, with Cardi B, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how are you going to help him? You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's not, it's not, you know, dumb to think that way because most people would think that way. However, yeah. his manager Latavia is smart enough to listen and understand. Oh crap! There is value in this, and I do see how it's equally mutually beneficial. And that's why. And I'll tell you something, man. Like, I deal with a lot of managers, man. And a lot of managers and talent agents are not that like smart and they're not, they don't have vision to see that. They're just mm-hmm. going to sit there and fight for their talent. No, you got to give them this, you got to give them that, you got to give them that. And they don't see the big picture. They don't see the strategy in, the, in the, how they can leverage this for many other objectives that you may have down the line. Yeah, and what I find especially is if they're a large talent talent management company and the talent that you're specifically talking about is just one of many that they have and you're not offering them 20 grand up front, 50 grand up front, a million up front, and they say, well, in their head, you could tell where it's clicking. They go, well, I take 10%, I take 15%. So what is this $5,000 up front for me? That means nothing. What is this 20? I'm not even going to pay attention. Whereas it could be life-changing for the talent that's sitting right. on the other end. And that's that's a trend I'm seeing a lot at the moment. Kind of call it like Pokemon collecting. There's yeah. a lot of talent and there's a lot of talent agencies that are just trying to land grab and grab as many 16-year-old YouTubers with a million subscribers yeah. as they can, pull right. them in and be like a traditional PR company, which is dying, which is try to get as many clients as possible for 20 grand a month, hire as little amount of people as possible to look after them, and you're playing a numbers game then. You're paying right. 10K in wages and you're getting 200 k in incomings and then off you go. It never works out in the end, man. I've been in the I've been in the industry for twenty years now. It it burns yeah. out. You might win for a couple of years, but then what ends up happening? You burn your name, you burn your bridges, you burn your reputation, and you're out, man. People are always going to remember that you were a shitty person that were in it for shitty reasons and you did shitty deals. And the reason why someone like me has you know continued like if I was stock, I would be continually going like this my entire career because I have a long trail of doing good business and having a great reputation because I actually give a shit about people. So I don't, you know, there's one thing I talk mm-hmm. about in my book that if you feel that, uh, you know, successful or triumphant because you were able to sell or convince somebody to invest or do something um, that wasn't tremendously beneficial to them, uh, that doesn't make you a great salesperson. It makes you a con man. Uh, so someone like me, I don't even approach somebody unless I can see the equal or bigger value for them than there is for what I'm even going to them for. So, you know, and that's very rare. And, I, and I'm not saying that to do my own. I'm saying that because I've dealt with so many people. I can mm. tell who somebody is, whether I'm in the room, by the way they sit, their body language, the way they're dressed, how they talk, everything to on the phone. I can just tell from a couple words they'll use 
on where this is going to go because I've been around. I'm so experienced with how people operate and what their agendas are. So when you come in there with, a, a, you know, your, you wear your heart in your sleeve and you're very, I'm from Boston, man. So very matter of fact and to the point, look, this is what it is. If you don't like it, then let's think about something else. If you do like it, let's think about how we can make it benefit everybody in the room right now. And when you go in with that kind of mentality of a win, 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 win mentality every time, and you don't go in there trying to feel heroic, like, yeah, I beat them down in this negotiation. I'm the champion. You know, in the long yeah. run, you're going to have much bigger wins. Yeah, yeah. I think we've all experienced those, right? I, I know a guy who used to be a client of mine, and I, I explained him as like a business baby. He gets things done by bullying people, throwing tantrums, and I don't. And that's why he's an ex-client. I don't want to work with him. I don't want to speak to him. I don't want to know him ever again because it's never a fun time. I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel scared like talking to someone because I know I feel all the time he's just trying to screw me over whenever we chat. Once you delete ego and greed um, from from your characteristic traits or or feelings that fire you up, right? Once you delete those things, man, you, you run free and you fly high. Because those are the two things that really ruin deals, ruin relationships. Um, it really can destroy empires, right? And, and I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again, man. I've seen whether it's the greed of the money, whether it's the greed of the shine, whether it's you know the ego of feeling like you had all the great ideas, or the ego that you don't want to share with your team. Um, you know the cele- the celebrations of these wins, like you know when you have a leader. That, you know, that's why the greatest leaders of all time, you'll always see them think this couldn't have happened without my team. And they call out the team. Those are the guys. Yeah. Look, if you're the king of, a, of, a, of an empire and you take care of the villagers and, and you care about them, then they're going to go to war for you. and They're going to fight you and they're going to have your back. When you're a shitty dude that only cares about yourself and you're up there drinking your wine and eating your bread while everybody down here is working their ass off so you can do that and you're not doing anything for them. Believe you me, those people are plotting on taking you off the throne, right? So, you know, when you're a good leader and you care about people and you do right and you celebrate them and you acknowledge them, they'll fight to the finish for you, man. There was an interesting story, something that you touched on before about offset investing and why they would become involved and, you know, why would you why would this massive rapper um, have any benefit by being involved in phase? And there's another story. I was talking to a, a very large name in, in Australian media, one of his fellow board members who also owns a, a very successful traditional sports team. And this was through the period of time, like 2018, 2019, when sports teams were buying up esports teams. And it was in this guy's opinion. He said, I've been pitched by every sport, by every esports team, you know, to invest in them, but it should be the other way around. He's like, I'm this massive you know, media mogul, I've got this massive sports team. Why should I pay an esports team to be part of me and then to advertise for them? It should be the other way around. The esports team should be paying me. So I see that I see that discussion with Offset, you know, as to why he would come from that point. But what, I mean, was there a specific tipping point within that five, six months of discussion where he went, let's throw out the rest that are giving me something for free to go with FaZe? Is it just you guys being super confident in your culture, your product and, and where you stand in your future? Like, is there a why? Um. You would have to ask his manager, Latavia, what the tipping point was. Um, but I think it was just sense, you know, when things make too much sense and it sounds like it'll work and I see all the value. Um, and this is something he's interested in, wants to be a part of. I, uh, from what I understand, he wanted to kind of get into this space more anyhow. It was looking for the right fit and it was just really exemplifying how this was the right fit. And 
constantly emails, texts, conversations, uh, displaying and illustrating why this is the per- perfect uh, fit. And I think it was also, you know, over time she got more comfortable understanding who I am, where I'm coming from, and seeing that this isn't just a sell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's also like when the person that's selling you, you trust them, it's an easier sell. Like, look, I can go to somebody and say, got this opportunity, you should invest, I believe in it. Because of my credibility or my relationship with that individual, there's probably a lot less due diligence that they need to do because they just trust that I vetted it out and they trust that I've given them wins in the past that they're just like, okay, for example, like my buddy Greg Selko, when he brought me in the day one, he told me about it. I didn't know shit about it. He said, you should invest. Literally went to the bank that day and invested $100,000 because who was telling me was valuable and it was a trusted source. So I think mm. you know, over that five months, I think Latavia grew to trust me too and, and realize who I am and where I'm coming from. And, you know, and I would help walk her through the whole process, like give her both sides too. You know what I mean? So when you let people see, hey, here's some of the things you might not like, but we can work them out. I want to be upfront with you. And you're honest like that. And, you, and then you can get over those hurdles together. You know, it makes somebody say, well, damn, if they're that open and cool with me about things, and they'll probably always be like that. And that's somebody I want to be in business with. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think part of what you're saying too is about finding the right partners to share that journey with you, even if it requires you giving up some control or equity. And I think it's a super common thing I see in esports where a lot of the time, you know, people who work in esports will say, we've got the golden egg here. We don't want to give it to anyone. We don't want those old men in suits to, to touch what we're doing. TV's dead. You know, traditional media is dead, all this kind of stuff without realizing that these people have 20 years of contacts, some of these people have $20 million in the bank for a reason. So maybe there is a way that you should partner with them. And even though, you know, TV is dead in your eyes, they're still making so much money per commercial. The hosts are still being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be there. So maybe they do know some secrets that you should partner with and actually get some get some time, you know, of their attention to join with you. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I had this conversation and I address a lot of this in my book too, How Do We Big in the Music Business?, by the way, you can click the link in my bio on Instagram at Clinton Sparks. I'm giving away 1,500 copies. You can click the link there and sign up to be first in line to get a free copy of my book. But, um, you know, I talk about this to, to the youth all the time. It's like you'll get young kids, right, that will look at somebody older, let's say me, for instance, that's been around for a while. And they may say, they may make the foolish mistake of saying, ah, he's old, but he's old school. Well, he doesn't understand what we're doing right now or he doesn't understand the culture that I'm a part of right now. And it's Mm -hmm. like what they don't understand, like, look, you don't know what you don't know, right? When you're an 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old kid, you don't know what the fuck you don't know. You think you know it all because guess what? I was 20 at one point and I thought I knew Mm -hmm. it all. You know what I'm saying? So what happens is they don't understand it's people like me, you know, and I'm an anomaly, but it's people like me that have shaped and shifted the culture that you're a part of. Like I helped build the culture that you think you're creating right now or that you think you know more than me about. Now, yeah, maybe you know a cut off someone's album that's not a single that I don't know. What do you fucking do? That's not making us money. You just fucking know that guy's song. But you know what I know? I know how if you make this one move, the ripple effect it's going to have. I know if you treat somebody like this, how it's going to affect you two years from now. I know that if you don't take care of your finances and your taxes, I know that if you don't worry about these things, I know that if you don't treat yourself this way, I know that if you don't 
focus on this. I can tell you every single thing that's going to happen for the next 10, 15 years of your life and every route and option that you have to go down and what the end result is of all of them because I've been there and I've done that and I've won big in the music business and in business period, which is why if you make the mistake of not listening to me, that's a foolish mistake for you because there's so much value and experience that I can offer to you and instill into your brain that it would change the game for you. So I think a lot of young kids and inexperienced people that look, a lot of kids now are growing up just being gamers and content creators, and that's all they know. That's all they know. And they think that's all they need to know. And because they got popular and they get instant gratification from the internet by, you know, people responding to their YouTube videos or, or streaming that they're like, I'm the man. I got 10 million followers. Da, da, da. Bro, it's happened over and over again. Seen it happen with Vine. You've seen it happen. It happens over and over again. You're famous for this mm. window, right? And if you don't do things right and you don't listen, you're gone. And there's a new wave of people that are going to be you again, too. It's happened a million times and it will continue to happen. So that's a smart kid would listen to somebody that's been around and pull from the things that they can share with them and then incorporate it and infuse it into what they think they know more than that person knows and figure out how to become a bigger, better, stronger person than the guy is they're getting that, that information from. Like if a kid now knows streaming and gaming and understands you know, e-commerce and all of those things right now and then listens to somebody like a or me or a Gary V or somebody that's been around with experience with business and understands culture and takes extracts from us and then infuses it from what they know, there'll be a better fucking version of us one day. You know, and that's what I try to teach mm. people, but you'll never be bigger and better than me if you don't shut the fuck up and listen to the shit you don't know. Cause there is a lot of shit you don't know and you need to know that you don't know it. And the smartest people in the world are not the ones that know everything they're the ones that know what they don't know and care to learn about that. Yeah, yeah. Nice, no, some good words there for sure. I still think, you know, I've been there too and I'm, I'm still young, um, but, you know, I've been there too thinking that, you know, you've got that golden nugget and sometimes you just need it shown to you when, you know, an older person, you know, you let them, you let them introduce you to people and then you can really show you how the doors can be opened because so many people in esports, we're so used to, you know, have this experience with adding 40 people a day and sending outbounds on LinkedIn, you know, begging for their attention, like, please let me have a meeting with you. And then when you partner with someone who's senior and they walk you straight into a board level, straight into a direct level, they're like, within three minutes, you're on the phone with a general manager and a person who's actually got control of the budget that can make the decision. It's like a, just this wash of emotion comes over you like, holy shit. Like, this is what I've been missing this whole time. That's all I needed was someone to take my hand. Someone uh, hit me on LinkedIn, I think, and they were just like, yeah, I work with YK Osiris. Uh, You know, he wants to be down. Let's set up a call. It's like, delete. You know, like, I don't know who you are. You gave no context to this. You didn't warm up the conversation. You didn't say how he wanted to be involved. You didn't say why it should matter that we consider him being involved. And it's like, just that understanding of an of approach in networking in business. Like a lot of young kids think just because they understand like, you know, hype clothing brands or they're down with some of the popular rappers that are popular right now. And mind you, a lot of the popular rappers right now won't be popular in a few years from now. So you're clinging on to something that's cool today, not five, 10 years from now. 
So be mindful mm. of that too, right? So it's like really understanding, you know, man, I can't, I don't mean to keep selling my book, but this book it will really teach you the mentality and the psychology and the way to approach life if you really want to win big and understand how to sustain those wins and then scale those wins. So, you know, that's the one thing I would say about youth culture right now. How old are you? 28. 28. So you're getting past the time. You're at a time in your life now where you're realizing the stupidity of what you were two or three years ago and realizing the greatness you can be two, three years forward. And I know, and I don't even know you. You know what I mean? I've just had an interview, but I just know for a fact, and you're shaking your head yes, because I'm correct, right? And why do I know that? Because I've been there. You know what I'm saying? So and I know where you're going to be two years from now, just from seeing you on LinkedIn, seeing how you interact, seeing how you approach me, listening to the questions you're asking me, seeing how you have your whole room set up, seeing what the wicker basket you have in the back and you're getting your, the size of your TV behind you, seeing you have no logo on, the, on your hoodie, seeing like there's so many little things that you don't know that somebody super in tune is going to pick up in a heartbeat and wrap you up in their words because they're just way more experienced than you. You know what I'm saying? Most people think because they're connected to that and they have a relationship with this, I'm good. I got 10 million followers. I know this rapper. I know that. Yo, you can't tell me nothing. I just I just dealt with a manager today that manages someone that has 25 million followers, right? Mm-hmm. I almost said the gender, but I don't want to give any tips, right? This person feels that they have strength just because they manage that person. One, that person can manage you, can fire you tomorrow and you're back to nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And prior to that person, you really have no receipts. So when you go and you deal with someone that's kind of like a, a boss, you know what I mean? It's like, especially when you run into someone that's cool, like me, like I don't ever flex on anybody. I want to make things work amazingly for everybody involved, right? And I never stunt on anybody. And like you could be brand new tomorrow, but if you approach the right way, I'm going to see, oh, this dude's dope. Let me help them out. Or let me make this deal work great. And if I see that they don't know certain things, I'll teach them. I won't try to beast on them. I'll teach them like, hey, what you really meant to, to say to protect your client is this. So, you know, obviously like you win more over me by me telling you that, but I want you to be do great by your client, right? So, yeah. you know, when you run into people that, that can instill value and give you lessons and navigate you down these roads, like just have, just eat some humble pie, bro. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, and realize, do due diligence of who you're talking to. For instance, you reached out to me. I didn't know anything about you other than, hey, I see this guy really engaging and being active as it relates to esports on LinkedIn, right? So then I went, then you reached out to me. Uh, I did some more due diligence on you, right? But like a lot of people, they'll just go look at your numbers or something and that's it. But like, you could have had no followers. No one could watch this video that you're doing right now, right? But what I see how you're conducting your business and how you approach me to do this, I don't give a shit if nobody watches you or follows you. You're dope. So I care about you because you're dope. I don't know if the people that follow you are dope. You could have a bunch of shitheads that follow you. and It doesn't matter. I'm investing in the person that I'm paying attention to, not any facade or any fake numbers. So I know I went on a tangent right there, but like if there's anybody anybody young watching this because they're smart enough to see that you're someone giving them game and they should be watching this, I hope that they take some lessons from what I'm saying and maybe pivot a little bit 
on how they've been acting and how they continue to act as they move forward in trying to win big in any business. Yeah, yeah, no, some some great some great words there, and I'm I'm going to cut that up into a lot of clips, I'm sure. But and I, and I think to 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 bring that back to like a personal experience, especially what you're saying at the end is that you know my investors and partners they started off as a client of mine because they were looking at making an investment into the industry. And I went along and did a half-day paid seminar with them and said, look, this is what the whole esports market looks like globally. Here's what a team, an event, a league, et cetera, is. Here's how much things cost and why. Here's how, here's how much it would cost to get a video you know, made by someone from FaZe. Here's how much it would cost to buy an esports team um, or to run a tournament or what a prize pool means and what a cut from a manager is. And at the end of that, three days later, I got an email from them and they said, Chris, that was great, but we'd rather just invest in you because we think that you can find us the right opportunities to work in. And, you know, I respected that a lot. And it's a long, it's exactly the same kind of things that you're saying, right? You invest in the person. And you hear that if you watch any investment show, say like uh, Startup or The Pitch by Gimlet Media, which is a podcast or plenty others, the investors who are rich and are very successful, they say that every single time. They don't necessarily invest in the product. They invest in the founder and they invest in the people who behind what making things happen. And that's really what it seems to be at phase where so often I get pitches from people and see them come through, which is they're pitching the industry of esports, not themselves. And there's so many different things you can do in esports. Like, yes, I understand the industry is going to grow, but you've got to bet on a person to grow with that industry and a brand to grow with the industry. Because... You know, I brought in millions of dollars to phase, raising money, right? And look at the numbers are fantastic. The numbers don't lie. It's an incredible organization to be a part of. If you're going to make an investment, it's a sound investment to invest in phase, right? Um, but look, these guys didn't understand esports. And as, as much as I educate them, as much as I created a hype around it, as much as I showed them the factual numbers and the trajectory, growth trajectory, it really came down to, and they literally said this to me, we believe in you. And if you're a part of it, then one, it must be dope. And two, we know that if you're a part of it, you're going to make sure that it gets even doper. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's really what 90% of the investors I brought in have literally said that to me. So when you become the value, you add value to anything you become a part of rather than needing to become part of something to become valuable. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. And another thing I really wanted to highlight that you talked about before is letting letting talent or helping talent to understand that there is a purpose to what they do and it's okay to stay within your lane. Like an, an NFL linebacker is not worried about what food is going to be served for dinner. They're not worried about who's going to be signed up in the draft. They're not worried about what the salary cap is for the NFL. They're not worried about even what the next play is going to be necessarily. They're there to play their hardest, to keep themselves under control, to keep fit and to keep their mind on the game. The same way that an esports professional's job is to get better at Counter-Strike, get better aim, um, you know, be friendly on social media, show up to matches on time and play well. And it's the same with the talent. It's the talent's job to be a talent. You know, it's their job to edit. It's their job to come up with cool ideas and that kind of stuff. And it's okay that the talent doesn't know how to negotiate a business deal properly. It's okay that the talent would say, I would prefer my manager to go into this business conversation and me not even be there because I don't feel comfortable sitting in the room with the suits. And that's okay. And I think that's a that's something that a lot of people are now only just starting to understand like within our market as well. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to be the editor, the social media manager, and the CEO. It's impossible. There's not enough hours in the day. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Well said, Chris. 
<laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I, I'm glad I got something good in there. Maybe I'll clip myself. <laughs> clip myself this time. Sorry, hey, the video. Why I'm awesome and the great things I say. Yeah, exactly. It's like those people. I, I follow this one guy on Facebook um, who's a real estate agent specifically for the reason that he posts his own quotes on pictures of himself. I love it. It's my it's my favorite thing. What's his name? What I don't I don't want to name drop him. I don't want to call him okay. out. But... What are you talking about? Oh, oh it's an, he's an Aussie. He's an Aussie guy. Oh, it's not like a, it's not like a famous guy that pays for ads. No, 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 oh, no, yeah. it's an Austria. No. By the way, Australia uh, is one of my favorite places in the world. I love Australia. I've been there multiple times from Bondi Beach to I went I went swimming with the sharks two years ago awesome. to uh, Sydney to Melbourne to I love all of Australia, man. Like it's one of my favorite places in the world to go. Yeah, yeah, well, it's good here. It's just it's just hard that we're so far away from everything we've been. Um, but I mean, as as far as content go, like, and as far as content creators go, I don't think people realize Australia punches so far above their weight. We've got the eighth, the eighth most watched YouTuber in the world here in Australia in Laserbeam with 30 million subscribers. You got like 270 million video views in the past 30 days. You know, rid- ridiculous. And we've got plenty more of people on that level. You know, the on, amount of on a music vibe. Um, man, I was like, what is every Australian defecting to America? Because every studio session I go to, there's Australians in there producing hit records. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, holy shit. Even, even FaZe, there's like four or five Australians that are on the executive level at FaZe. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do pretty well. We do pretty well. And and you're right. A lot of people end up moving out of moving out of here. But I think we've. I think Australia's done well in setting culture in a lot of those circumstances as well. I think you know Australia's done really well with setting the edgy YouTube culture, um, kind of the crass humor a lot of the time. Especially people like Laserbeam swearing on traditional TV. That was a yeah. fantastic clip. Um, yeah. You know, and and a lot with the music as well. Think about Melbourne Bounce, for example. I mean, Melbourne is where I live, so you know, and that was fantastic because that was my nightclub age. That was. 21 to 24 was Melbourne Bounce era. So, like, I'm always going to remember that. But that ripped off my name. Who was that? Sorry. Oh, Will Sparks. You talk about Will Sparks? <laughs> <laughs> I know him. I'm, I'm friends with one of his best mates. Is, is that his real last name? I don't know. I don't, I've, not, I've never met Will personally, but I just see him. I just, I know one of his best mates quite well. But. <laughs> it might be his real name. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's coming up next on your radar? You know, the head of the head of business development for phase. I guess two let's let's go a two prong question. A, what does your day to day look like? And B, what are you watching to to jump onto next? My day to day I wear many hats, but my day to day is looking for opportunities to not only raise the awareness of phase clan, but also the esports industry as a whole um also look for ways to make us money look for strategic partnerships for us to align with uh look for you know uh uh businesses and sectors that for instance i'm the one that got the phase clan logo on the nascar in a nascar race uh, i don't know if you've seen that recently or driving yeah. in, in alfredo so yeah that was me pushing to like can we get it on the car you know what i mean now we're having bigger conversations. And what was great about that is it's like, you know, the way that I think is like, what's a giant market that we're not touching or doesn't know about us? So that's what I did. And, you know, obviously NASCAR and the gigantic audience that watches car racing is not super keen to esports, right? So it was like, 
how do we penetrate that world? Well, let's get our logo on a car. And I befriended uh, Anthony Alfredo, who was the driver. We had the conversation and we were able to negotiate the logo on the car. When it was in that race, you know, they talked about it on NBC Sports. They shouted out FaZe. So what that does is it makes people say, oh, what is that? And then go get familiar with it, right? So mm-hmm. even right now, so I brought iRacing opportunity um, to FaZe that we're talking about right now where we may have a team, a FaZe team in iRacing, uh, which will then now open up the world to a whole other audience, uh, not only just for, you know, business dev and brand awareness, but also, you know, another revenue stream for us. Um, Another big deal that I just worked on uh, was with the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox. That was like a seven, eight-month deal I worked on um, to create phase day at Fenway Park. So we're going to be doing – well, the plan was to do it June 29th. But COVID-19, I don't know what's going to – if baseball's even going to happen this year. But mm. uh, the whole thing behind that, one of the things I worked on was with Major League Baseball was getting them to give permission to alter – the iconic Red Sox logo so that we can do a collaborative logo with FaZe Clan and the Red Sox like we did with Champion and FaZe and then do an exclusive merch drop. So what we'll do that day is we'll do a a commemorative uh, item we'll give away that day to fans. We'll do ticket giveaways. You know, FaZe Talent will throw out the first pitch. It'll just be FaZe Day at, at iconic Fenway Park and then we'll have that exclusive iconic phase red sauce collaborative merch drop that day so you know that's a global event you know what i mean the red sox is a globally known team Mm. recognized teams in the world on traditional sports with phase clan and then creating that kind of merch which is going to be it's going to be a dope drop Uh, so those are the kind of things that i'm doing again getting into major league baseball and you know obviously like you know uh, new england is a huge fan base for phase clan so doing something there what I'll then do is create initiatives and activations with other brands and products while we're there to make it a whole weekend event in Boston. So that's kind of the way that I operate and the way that I think. Um, how do we get down with other platforms and how do we cross-pollinate to, uh, like when Little Yachty became part of FaZe Clan, uh, I was like, aren't you doing Rolling Loud in a couple weeks? And he was like, yes. I go, great, here's the plan. We're going to bring all of FaZe Clan out on stage during your performance. We're going to put FaZe Clan on the big screen and you're going to announce in front of the entire audience and all the cameras and video cameras that you are now officially part of phase clan. And we're going to make 600 one of a kind phase boat t-shirts that we throw off the stage. So if you weren't there, then you didn't get the shirt. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just create moments, you know what I mean? And memories and events like that, that spread through the media, but that people that were there will remember forever. So that's how my mind operates. Yeah, it's interesting. You, me- you mentioned the little yachty thing. I was talking to someone about that idea. I was like, I hope to see FaZe on stage at Coachella, but it looks like you've already done it. <laughs> so there you go. Already, even with Offset, um, you know, I was like, why don't we get Offset a giant FaZe pendant for his birthday? Uh, and, you yep. know, obviously to show like, yo, you're our dude. I don't know, everyone in FaZe gets a chain. Let's get him a bigger one uh, to celebrate him joining FaZe. You know, we present yeah. to him. At his birthday, everybody was there. So, you know, it was a big deal. And then, you know, he talked about it online. Cardi B talked about it online, which we didn't expect, but was awesome. You know what I mean? It was like we did it out of the love for Offset and to show how much we appreciate him being part of it. But then, like, all of the invaluable uh, press 
and media attention that came from it. It's like, you know, it's just amazing. So that that's how my brain thinks is how can we make these great things happen and how can we intertwine stuff that, but I've done that my whole entire career. Like I'll put people on a record together that when you hear that, you're like, that makes no sense. Then you listen to it. You're like, dude, that was dope. Who thought about that? So it's the same thing with business and culture. I think one, one thing that, that, really resonated strongly with me with champion and also with the Boston thing you said that I think a lot of the media and people didn't pick up on is how crazy it is that these massive companies are doing a 50, 50 logo with face, because we all know how protective they are of their logo. If anyone's worked with Intel or Nvidia before, or any other large corporate company, we all know there's certain Panatone colors. Their logo has to be a certain amount of pixels away from every other. The background can and can't be certain colors. The logo can and can't be changed. Sometimes there's like a three week approval process just for a Twitter banner. So the fact that there was a A's champion hoodie collab where it was basically split in half. And now you're talking about the Boston Red Sox thing. I think that to me is, is one of the most promising and one of the most important points that most people aren't talking about yeah no and, and nobody else can do it and no one's thinking about doing it they might be now because of us but no one's thinking about it but it comes back to what i said it's the people that are involved on an executive level and understand how to take what the talent um does really dope and how to take what we do really dope and merge them together so you know will eddins um who you know runs uh, was running heading up merch at the time um, that was his idea. It was his relationship at Champion, and he created the whole idea and, and pushed him to see the value in doing that collaboration with us. And bro, we sold two million dollars in like twenty four hours. We couldn't even. We had to stop. Champion had to call us and say, "Stop. We can't fulfill any more orders." You know what I mean? So like, that's how powerful that is. So it's it's the it's the vision, mm-hmm. it's the ingenuity, but it's also the resources and the relationships. And going back to what we were saying the history of these relationships. Like anyone can't just walk up and say, let's do this. You know, you have to know who the guy is there who does partnerships for that brand and then mm-hmm. convince him why. First of all, you got to get his contact. You know what I mean? Then you get his contact. Yeah. You got to tell him why you matter to talk to. Then it's like, then you got to, the next level is like, I got a great idea. You got to keep him compelled to listen to that idea. Then after you get that idea, it's selling him the value of what. So you know what I mean? Like not anyone can do that. It's a lot of work. It's legwork. It's relationships. It's politics. It's networking. It's favors. It's adding value. It's not always trying to go in for the kill. It's sometimes doing two or three things for free because, you know, mm. you're going to need something later on. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I think one one thing you highlighted there is the follow-up meeting is always the hardest thing in esports. It's often easy to get in the room with someone when you drop the, the secret password which is esports but then you know i've had this so many times the meeting hands they go yeah this sounds really fantastic we should keep in touch boom no contact ever again i'm going to give you a tip to that another tip in the book a tip to that to not because look at this many meetings happen and everyone's like oh thanks for coming down great and then you wonder a week or two later what happened are they ever going to call did they care about what i said like well what you do at the end of any every meeting which i had two calls with investors today one was an, uh, an NFL player and one was an owner in an NHL team. So I talked to them today about FaZe Clan and esports. They, they didn't know really much about esports at all. And I practice it myself, and it's something I'm going to share with you. At the sure. end of every meeting, when they say that, you, you set the tone of what's going to happen next. You then say, great, I'm going to follow up with you in three, four days or next week. Do you have an assistant I can set that up with? But you already make it known so they expect 
that you're going to follow up. And you're not a nuisance and you're not annoying. So when you do follow up, they should have expected it because you made it clear and known that you're following up. Plus it shows it's that important to you that you're following up and that they're that important to you that you want to follow back up with them. Yeah, yeah, and that's some good advice. Four little tidbits you can put into that conversation of following up that makes them more interested in your follow-up, but, you know, I don't want to take up your whole video and tell you <laughs> talk to people. That's right. And uh, uh, one, one thing I really wanted to ask you, I talked to Jeff about this on the podcast as well, is how do you know when you're doing too much? You know, phase the, the direct example for Jeff then was you guys did like three or four meetups week after week after week, I believe. You did an Ewok drop, you know, you had a Lyrical Lemonade drop um, and a few others. And I said to Jeff, like, what's the limit then? Like, I understand you guys have a lot of talent, you've got a large brand, but when is, when is it too much? How do you know? Uh, you know that by understanding and, and understanding your fans, uh, understanding uh, what kind of output you're putting out. And there's a fine line between being annoying and persistent, right? And it's also mm-hmm. having, look, admittedly so, we didn't plan that uh, the best way possible. We all know that inside, right? Uh, and we learned a lot. And that's another thing that's great about being with a great company is when you make a mistake, or you did you you can improve on something. You go back to the drawing board and you and you kind of have a um, a post mortem conversation about what do we do yeah. wrong, what do we have done better, and yeah. what in my opinion what we did wrong in that specific scenario is we just kept sucker punching you with different things. Had we had a proper rollout two months prior, hey guys. Two months from now, we're doing sick drops with this person and this thing and this brand and blah, 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 and had a schedule that you've seen coming and you could plan and decide, oh, shit, I don't really care about that one. But this one, I can't wait for that one, right? And then you and your boys are like, oh, you're bugging. They're going to be having this one the day after, the week afterwards. Now you're expecting it and you're planning for it, right? So, Mm. and then you can decide what's more interesting to you. And I think that's the big takeaway we got from that was to plan and schedule it and let the fans and the audience see that schedule of the rollout, you know, with ample time to plan and save money. Maybe you want to buy a sweater every week, but you just bought one this week. You're like, ah, shit, I didn't know you were doing another one next week. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? You know, from a business point of view, we probably lost out on money from that way too, because we didn't even give people time to beg their parents or to save their own money or to not spend it on something else because they were saving it for this. So, you know, and yeah. it, it became also annoying to some fans. Look, I got a bunch of DMs from, you know, diehard fans. I'm very interactive and engaging. So I think a lot of face fans think they can complain to me, right? Um, I'm like online human resources to fans. <laughs> yeah. like, they're like, man, dude, you guys do too many, blah, 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 this type of stuff. So those are the kind of things that we, we take in and consider when moving on the next step on uh, a smarter way to do a drop like that. Uh, for instance, when we do the Red Sox one, like we'll obviously give you ample time because, you know, that could be an event that one of my things that I'm hoping for. And when I pitch this to the Red Sox is like, look, a lot of young kids aren't really, they don't really care about baseball like their dads, you know what I mean? Yeah. But they care about esports, and their dads don't really care about esports. So here's an event where the son gets to introduce to the dad what he loves and a dad gets to show to a son something that's near and dear to his heart, all while hanging out and then participating in this uh, this drop event and getting some, uh, you know, that limited exclusive drop that we're going to do 
you know, that's a moment and that's a memory that in my heart means something to me because you're creating something where fathers and sons can bond, right? And and that's what I care about um, when it comes to doing stuff like this. So I lost my train of thought. I know we were talking about just setting up the deal so people can know with more ample time instead of just coming out of nowhere with something that they can't plan. Um, yeah. The ancillary benefit to that is what I was getting at was, you know, in my mind, the planning, but also why I thought it was a great idea to do something with the Red Sox. And one of those ideas was create an event where fathers and sons um, can, can enjoy something together and share both of their passions and let the other one see, see that. This is, so now a dad can say, holy crap, look at all these people there because of face clan. Now I get it. Right. And then the mm-hmm. son can say, oh, this is actually a good time sitting here doing this and watching baseball and getting a Fenway Frank and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. that's what I'm all about creating moments and memories. And if there's anyone that needs a younger audience, it's got it's sorry, it's baseball. You know, the average PGA fan is 55. The average uh, MLB fan is 53, 47 for the NFL and 37 for the NBA. So, you know, you're 100% right. And I know that. And that's why I went to the Red Sox specifically. Uh, plus, a lot of us executives are from Boston, too. So it was like, man, what would be mm. better than doing something with the Red Sox, right? You know, the green monster. And, you know, it'd be amazing. So went to them and and pitched it, and I said, they didn't get it at first either. You know what I mean? I had to say, look, your audience, your audience is dying. You know what I'm saying? Like, these young kids, they, they're not coming to the, the, the field. They're not running around. You need to get your players involved in esports. I, yeah. I guarantee you, some of your guys, Mookie Betts, before he left, and all these guys on your team, I bet they, they play Call of Duty. I bet they play Fortnite. But you guys as an organization aren't recognizing and harnessing that and doing something to put a spotlight on it and associate your brand with esports. Doing a big event like this and then having our guys mingle with your guys, create some content, maybe do a stream together. Now you're starting to show the coolness and the iconicness of being in Fenway, being baseball in the Red Sox. And you know, there's nobody better to do it with than FaZe Clan. Mm, yeah, we're working with baseball and rugby in Australia on exactly the same premise. Like two right. different things. One is baseball, which is you know, a community engagement exercise and getting people something to do while they're stuck inside, but also, you know, increasing the profile and getting kids who mightn't be interested in the game, interested in it through esports and gaming. And the other one is with rugby, which was primarily around raising the corporate or raising the social profile of their players. And, right. you know, it was very it was very clear what they said to me is they said they want their players to walk down the street and kids to know who they are because they don't right now. They right. only know them if they're wearing a jersey and they're on the field, but they want to know them as the person, as who they are. They want them to be a famous person who credit card is in the street, like a right. Jake Paul, like an offset, like a, like a little Yachty. Right. And, it's and then, there's definitely room to mingle those worlds, and they are mingling when you've got NBA and yeah. NFL players going into esports. And like at some point, it's just going to be all intertwined. At some point, it will be – like every major traditional sport team will have an esports team and they'll have the same, they'll have their, and they're supporting each other and they're co-mingling and they're promoting each other. They're creating yeah. together. It's going to coexist or sports is in trouble. You know what I mean? Cause you know what I mean? Like if you can yeah. do it in esports, you know, or some sports will be, you know, you guys, your kids are always going to want to play football and basketball, right? But there'll be a bunch of stuff that's like, like Major League Baseball, that's one that might like, do we really want to play that 10, 15, 25 years from now? 
I don't know. You better do something quickly to mm. get people, you know, excited about baseball because, you know, outside of golf, it's pretty boring if you're not into it. And you're, yeah. you're talking about kids that need to be moving all the time, have 16 things going on on the screen, knows where everybody is, switching guns, that switching that. Like, they need that. And baseball is like, yeah, okay, give me two minutes while I just, like, swing the bat for a minute, and then maybe I'll hit it, maybe I won't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they got to do something about that. And I think, you know, doing something with Face Clan is the first – I don't think this is a one-off. This is not the beginning of a relationship with Face Clan. This is, in my opinion, the first of building a strong relationship where we can help, you know, uh, pump some gas into not just the Red Sox but Major League Baseball – just like I think we can bring something significant to, you know, the car racing circuits. Yeah, for sure. There's another another Jeff comment that I wanted you that I wanted your opinion on as well. So I shared on on LinkedIn, um, BMW started sponsoring a bunch of different teams, and understand you guys have a competing sponsor to BMW. But that aside, the general premise: BMW started sponsoring a bunch of teams, and the teams all released um, a video together highlighting all of the teams that were sponsored under the BMW group. And since then, they've been posting about each other quite a lot as well about the other teams' results and things like that. And mm-hmm. Jeff commented on the LinkedIn post saying that's not something FaZe would consider. You know, he sees that as promoting a competitor and there's no way that FaZe would want to use its social cloud and its social influence to promote a competitor. I'd love to get your thoughts on that, A, in relation to FaZe, but B, in relation to any other companies you've worked with in the past as well, around policies around, you know, how do you function and, and do you see these other people as competitors? Do you see them as friends in the industry? Like, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm glad you broke it into two two ways because one from phase. So there's two different ways to look at it. It depends how, how you run your business, right? So phase in brands that think like what Jeff said, uh, which I don't disagree with, with Jeff at all. Um, it's just your perspective, how you run and operate your business. Um, yeah. When it's like, we work really hard as a company to promote, you know, being best in class, right? And we want to keep your focus on the best and on what we're doing and on the things that matter to us and what we want you to focus on. So we don't want to distract. It's kind of like going through a funnel, you know, on the internet. I'm not going to send you out of that funnel somewhere else to another website when I'm trying to sell you on stuff that's in this funnel. Right. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing. If I'm, if I'm showing you everything phase and in that, I show you something else. You, I run the risk of you saying, Oh, what's that? And then you go down the rabbit hole of leaving what I want you to focus on and go look at something else. So that's yeah. one way of keeping it very centric to what I care. If you came here to buy burgers, then I just want you to focus on burgers. I'm not going to talk about pizzas and make you think, oh, you know what? Maybe I want a pizza. And then you leave and go get a pizza. I'm not going to do it. So that's one way of looking at it. Mm. Another way of looking at it is you could look at it like you're so killer and so confident and secure with your position in your space and business that you're not worried or threatened by anybody else. In fact, it might even look cooler on you when you shine light on other people because it's sort of in a low-key, subtle way further confirms that I'm doper than that other thing because because I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like It doesn't bother me to show that. But by rule of thumb in business – you would never like, unless you're getting paid, you would never introduce or bring in another brand. When you're, If you're running a commercial at the Super Bowl and you're playing as peanuts, 
you're not going to sit there and, and, and talk about another brand in your commercial. You just wouldn't do it. It doesn't make any sense, right? Um, so it depends mm-hmm. the scenario. It depends the, the finances, the economics, the relationships with those other brands. But overall, the rule of thumb is keep you focused on what I need you to be focused on. And if I'm doing something about phase, I don't want to talk about another brand, or especially in the same industry, because no other brand matters. We're all that matters, and we're all that you should be focusing on. You want to talk about, good, about them, go across the street. There's a good MMA analogy for what you were just saying. It's kind of, and, and you, you touched on it before, it's, you know, when they're down, you just keep beating on them, or is it more disheartening to them to let them stand back up and to start fighting again? in regards to, you know, do you not share another brand or just by sharing another brand, is that you further asserting your dominance? Here's my motto in life. I don't watch other people to determine how dope I'm going to be today, right? I don't mm-hmm. care or compete with anybody else. I just be super fucking dope today and then tomorrow I'm better than I was yesterday. So it goes back to what I said at the beginning of this thing. When you're looking at my dopeness today and you're trying to compete with that, you're already behind because I'm already focused on my next dope. You know what I'm saying? So it's the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, with FaZe Clan and or any other esports organization uh, or any industry, but especially as it relates to FaZe, like we're just going to keep being dope and our dopeness will get better. I mean, just this week alone, you've seen how many things we put out. You know, we launched FaZe Studios with an Oscar winning director uh, to create long form content, whether that be for Netflix or TV or film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Force, forces with network. Um, you know, our, our race. Like, there's just so many things that we're doing that if I'm a competitor, I'm like, damn, dude, they just did something else killer. Like, we're never going to catch up. See, well, mm-hmm. your goal is to catch up to us. Our goal is to just be doper than we were yesterday. So that's the difference from, like, a focus killer company, any company, um, and somebody that's like, when you worry about other people too much, you're wasting time that you could be focusing on just being better at a better you yeah that makes sense to me so obviously you guys are busy i'm not saying don't be aware of the industry you should definitely scan what's going on in culture in the industry but don't get caught or worried about what other people are doing yeah makes sense to me so obviously you guys are busy but you can't you can't be responsible for the for the whole industry right is there anything missing that you wish existed i understand this is a really wide question but is there any way that you just go man i really wish there was a a netflix of gaming man i really wish there was a, a franchise league that was worth us getting into like is here's what i here's what i wish and i guarantee you it's going to happen um there's no way it won't happen by the way look you what i'm about to say is going to relate to my shirt right sure all i hear from older folks is damn i wish they had this shit when i was younger so we could have won all this money gaming right Cool. That's what you wish. Great. Let's get uh, uh, Camcom and Activision and Atari and all these people to bring back all those old games and create tournaments for the OG League. Let's get the 40-year-old guys that are dope at Donkey Kong or Pac-Man or all these things and create a whole league for them. Maybe there won't be as much money, but it will still be fun. Like, you know, you see guys out here, they have legitimate, like, um, oh, what's the golf game called that they have tournament? Like, what is it? You mean like Wii Golf or something like that? You mean like? Uh, 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 what's it? I got it. I literally have it. I had to stand up arcade game in my house. Um, anyways, they have they have national tournaments of 
uh, golf. Yeah. Shit, you know what it is, man. Um, it's, it's like a VR golf game, you mean, like a simulator? One of the most popular golf game where you have the ball, and that's how you hit the ball. Anyways, um, you're going to make me get up and go look out in my living room. Um, so uh, they have that for, like, older guys. I'm like, it's in all the bars, all the pubs, all, like, they have they have national competitions where you win $20,000, trips to Hawaii, a brand-new car. Like, yeah. it makes no sense why there wouldn't be, like, a grown-up, if you will, like, adult league or old-school league, whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah. like, of those games where you have those guys that – same guys that are in fantasy football, same guys that go play pickup basketball. Like, all those guys would love to be gamers where they can make money and be in competition. So I think right now esports is looked at as a young man's game. I think that if they made it where they brought back old school games, there's, there's another billion-dollar industry in that alone. And by the way, it opens up the, the doors again, back to what I'm saying, fathers and sons relating to connecting with each other. Now you have another way to, to, to build camaraderie and bond with fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, daughters and mothers. Like, because yeah. not just men, like women played all were killer in the old school games too. Mm, yeah, really true. One one person said golden tea. Is that what it's called? Yeah, golden tea. Yeah, uh, there you go. I not know that. Shout out to whoever that is. Yeah, yeah, Natchez. Thank you. Thank you, Natchez. Yeah, it was an interesting chat. Like we said before we started recording, I talked to the CEO of Atari um, last week, and that's what they're doing with the new video entertainment system they're bringing out. They're going to have their old games on there, but they've also licensed out a lot of their old games to be rehashed, and they're hoping to turn some of those into esports titles. And I made a few few connections for them for that. So connect me and that CEO, and I will infuse tremendous value into amplifying that and bringing that to market. Sure. I'll do that straight after this. Mate, there's been a lot. There's been a lot we've talked about today, and you're a very busy man. A couple times, but if you want to win big in the music business or any business, uh, this is the book. It comes out in a month. Go to the link in my Instagram handle, at Clinton Sparks, so you can get first in line to get this book and get notified when it's available. I'm giving 1,500 copies away. For free, Damon John, uh, Shark Tank Damon John wrote the forward to this. Uh, and although it's your modern-day guide uh, to winning big in the music business, the principles and values in this book are transferable to any industry, uh, including your personal relationships. So it's it's an easy read. It's not one of those thick books where you're like, oh, man, I don't want to read a giant book like that. It really gets right down to the facts, to the nitty-gritty. It gives you the strategies, the tools, and the formula to help you navigating to winning big uh, in the music industry, but also in life. It's really about psychology and how you approach things. And, you know, there's tremendous value that you'll get from this book. Are we going to see an audio book too? Audio book. It also comes with a course that has over 60 videos in it. There'll be an cool. e-book. Uh, there's a lot, man. And, and I'm dedicated to helping those way past the book. So I'm really excited about it. Everybody from, from Offset to Rob Durdick, to, uh, you know, you name them, they're all like, they've all read the book, they've all given me testimonials, they're all endorsing the book. So when the book goes live, you'll see in my website and stuff like all these people raving about uh, how valuable this book is. Awesome, man. That's good. Yeah, thanks for thanks for taking the time to chat today. And I mean, if there's any, if there's one thing we've gotten out of the talk today, it's that if you want to complain about FaZe Clan, head to at Clinton Sparks on Twitter, (laughs) save a message. Hey, let me ask you a question, being so knowledgeable about esports. If there was one new 
esports team that was going to start and they went to you for advice, what would you say is the number one thing they should focus on to stand out and be one of the number one, even taking phase in consideration, knowing how great phase is and what they've done. What would you say you got to do these things if you want to be number one? Build a mission and vision statement, understand who you are and stick true to that. You need to either be the team that wins everything. You need to be the team that's the coolest, the team that has the best content. You need to pick one lane and you need to stick into it. At the moment, I think you see this all the time. I mean, this happens a lot in Australia in the past as well with a lot of our teams where they're throwing a lot of money at CSGO to be the best. At the same time, they're throwing a lot of money at League of Legends to be the best and they're trying to get a Valorant team now and they're throwing money at Fortnite players. Pick one and decide what angle you want to go in. Take a look at Team OG. All they did was Dota 2 and they won two world championships and have all of the followers because of that. They locked away Dota 2 and then they went, okay, let's go into one more game. And they picked a lot of quiet people. They have the content backed by Red Bull. They've got a great story. So you can look at who they are. You look at FaZe, it started off as, you know, prepubescent kids yelling on Xbox and Xbox 360 doing trick shots in Call of Duty. And they've still stayed true to that. And now they're just the older version of that and they've grown up. If you look at other teams, say like uh, MIBR, they've always been about only CSGO or only Counter-Strike and only about winning. So stay true to who you are and what your brand identity is. And any big brand in the world, Apple, they do exactly that. They make things that look really pretty. They make things that are tested and proven technology. Like, yes, they're not always going to be the latest, coolest tech. That's because the latest, coolest tech breaks a lot of the time. And they're all going to have fantastic aftercare support and it's going to look sleek, cool, and sexy. And that's who they are. So understand who you are, understand who your brand is, and stick true to that as through your progress. So that being said, flipping the interview now, that being said, if FaZe came to you and said, what are we doing wrong, what would you say? I'd say I think FaZe is doing too many things. And I think that's why I asked that that question about um, to you and to Jeff as well. And, you know, how do you make sense of all the stuff that you're doing? Um, sometimes is it hard for the consumer to, to follow with that? And I've also been doing a lot of research into the power of different types of social media um, within keeping things simple and keeping them single game. So I did a bunch of research into Team OG with only a Dota 2 team. How does that correlate to their fans? How does that correlate to their engagement rate on Instagram versus a Team Liquid who will have 10, 15 teams versus a Fnatic? Um, How does that work for, say, a Free Fire Brazilian team uh, whose name escapes me? They won the Free Fire mobile tournament. They have a million followers, loud.gg. Once again, they perform one single game, and how does that correlate? Talking to AEG, um, the you know, investment and sports group, they have a really interesting thought on this, which was they have different organizations which are one title only. So they own MIBR, that's only Counter-Strike. They own a different Overwatch team, which is only Overwatch. They own a different team, which is only, you know, whatever other game, I'm mental blanking, we talked about so much today. But mm-hmm. that that would be my main question for FaZe, and that's why I keep asking you guys that, is are you doing too much? And then what's the benefit of keeping those solos? But then also with FaZe, it's the power of bringing everything together. Sometimes it's awesome because I don't even know how many talent are in FaZe and you're discovering someone new. And you're like, holy shit, there's just another guy with 5 million followers that's in this team, like they're bigger than I could have ever hoped for. So I don't think there's a right answer, but that's my questions. Which is why FaZe is a lifestyle gaming brand and not just an esports organization. Esports is a component of the overall company called FaZe Clan. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that goes back to, I guess, one of the first things we talked about, right, which was that sliding scale, which is traditional esports team on the right, say a a Fnatic, a Cloud9, 
you know, a hundred thieves in the middle, which is a bit of 50, 50, and then phase whack them on the left, which is that, that gaming lifestyle where esports is one component. And that's, and I mean, this is, I've said this so many times in meetings and sometimes I forget I haven't said this in content. People come to me all the time and say, Chris, I want to get into esports. Granted, my company is called Big Esports and I'm often known for that, but really what they want to do is they want to get into gaming. I mean, right. gaming in Australia is a bigger market as according to worth and right. revenue than esports globally. And that's just in Australia. We've got 24 million people here. So they say, Chris, I want to get into esports. Usually they want to get into gaming and really they want to get into Gen Z and millennials and gaming is just a language and it's just the interface. It's that, you know, my mates that I play semi-professional Counter-Strike with, we don't hang out in person, even the ones we live in the same state with. We hang out in Discord and we hang out in Dota 2. Kids these days don't go to the skate park. They hang out in Fortnite. And now it's crossed so many cultural barriers that my girlfriend works in the lighting electrical industry. And when people my age, when I was born in 91, when I was a kid, you'd run around playing cops and robbers, pretending to shoot at each other or cowboys and Indians. These days, the kids say, let's play Fortnite. And they run around shooting at each other. So it just shows that no longer, I think, do you know, Gen Z and and whatever the next generation is going to be called, even identify as a gamer because it's just expected. The same way that if you live in Texas, you don't identify as a car driver. It's just expected that most likely you know how to drive a car. It's nothing special. The same way that with these kids these days, it's just expected that you can play Fortnite on the iPad, that you've played Minecraft on the Xbox, that you've played Roblox, that you're getting into Call of Duty, that you follow some rappers who are also talking about gaming. It's just part of what who humans are these days. And I think that you know, it's that's the important work that I see FaZe doing and 100 Thieves and, and a lot of these other teams that are reaching out, which is just re-expressing the culture that already exists. And often people will say to me, Chris, what do you think when a traditional business person or a sports fan says esports isn't a real sport, it doesn't matter? So I don't care because we're setting our own culture. And if they don't join our culture, they're left out right. because we're bigger than they have been in the past and we're going to be much, much bigger than they ever have been in the future. So we don't need to worry about their opinions. We just need to do what we're doing. Right, 100%. And I totally agree when you say, like, people say I want to get into esports, they don't realize the difference from gaming or esports or or any of it, you know. And, and we're just scratching the surface when it comes to the limitless potential of esports and gaming. Um, yeah. One of the examples that I give when I'm talking to, say, investors, I'm trying to get people to understand the dynamics or how is esports different than sports. Um, one of the examples I give is like, imagine you have like, you know, the Red Sox, right? So the Red Sox would be one sport representing one city playing one season. Now that you have the Red Sox at esports, now you're playing baseball, football, hockey, tennis, golf, which is. Mm. Fortnite, Call of Duty, like every game is a sport. So now yep. you can win championship titles in every sport, have MVPs in every sport, merch deals, licensing deals, you know, sponsorship deals in every sport, 24-7 globally. You're not just representing one city, you're representing the world, right? Mm. So when they hear that, they're kind of like, holy shit, it blows their mind because when you put it in a perspective like that, it's like you can see, like, wow, this is way bigger than sports. It has way more potential uh, to drive revenue and be, you know, just the biggest thing going. In. I mean, can you imagine the world without sports? Like, there's just no, no, no such thing as sport. As an Australian, it's impossible. <laughs> so, like, it's going to get to a point, like, you won't be able to imagine a world without esports. 
It's mm. just as common as sports is to the fabric of the world. You know what I mean? Like music, yeah. sports. Those are just two things that are like, it's just, it's part of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's very true. And I, you know, often say that I feel like, you know, once again, I was born in 91. I feel like my generation is the last generation of people who aren't gamers. There are some people I went to school with who wouldn't classify themselves as gamers whatsoever. And that doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. when I start to have kids, which some of my friends are, and, you know, when, when their kids start to have kids, that's it. Gaming is going to be completely normal. And I think a, a great analogy for some people who might be confused about what I was saying before about, you know, even gaming and esports and a direct reference to phase claim once again is why steel series would sponsor you guys versus why um uh burger king would get you guys to launch the rebel whopper it doesn't sometimes it makes perfect sense for a brand to get into esports sometimes you know i mean steel series tagline is winning is everything in the past you know 10 years ago they sponsored every top counter-strike 1.6 team in the world in every region they sponsored eg they sponsored navi across russia and ukraine they sponsored um tyloo in the us they sponsored Fnatic in sweden and their taglines winning is everything so it makes 100 percent sense that it would get hardcore into esports whereas burger king does a burger have a direct relation to esports maybe i mean budweiser sponsors overwatch and coca-cola does as well and things like that but maybe it makes much more sense to just do some cool content together to work with some youtubers with five plus million subscribers and to get it out to a more casual and gaming audience and draw that connection between the burger and just having fun well i mean it does make sense because if you want to be i mean burger king is part of culture right everybody knows what burger king is right uh so they've always been trying to it's part of you go out to school you go get a burger you're Hanging out, you go grab a burger, right? So it's part of the casual lifestyle of culture, right? So if you're trying to introduce a product to the most amount of people that are part of culture, then you would get down with some of the people that are, you know, the the most prominent figures that are pushing and promoting and creating the culture that you're trying to talk to. You know what I mean? Mm. So it makes tremendous amount of sense to me to have a brand like Burger King want to do business with, with Facebook. Yeah. And so many things you've talked about throughout this with, with champion with Burger King and, and such else is really pushing. I think what, what you guys feel your inherent value is, is not only the value you can pull out of Burger King by working with them, but the value that Burger King can pull out of phase by being associated with you right. guys. And it's a really a two way street. And I think for anyone for anyone watching this or listening back to this later, whether the VOD or the audio-only podcast, watching live on, on Twitch or LinkedIn, one very important thing for you to pull out of this is case studies as much as possible. Attach yourselves to the brands that you work with. If you do something cool with NVIDIA, talk about it because there's been a very common thing in the past in esports where people say, I don't talk about what I do, I just do it. And that doesn't help me whatsoever because I have no idea what you've done in the past. I have no idea what your skills are because I don't know what you've worked on. I don't know what you've done. And I think that's one thing where people say, Chris, you do so amazing on LinkedIn. You do all this content. And I say, yeah, literally like 80% of my LinkedIn is just telling people what I do. If I go to an event, I just post about it and say I'm there. And then people will look at that and go, wow, Chris must know what he's talking about because he's at every single event. And everybody else is too. They just don't talk about it. Right there alone is why an 18-year-old kid should listen to you. That's invaluable advice. Because even when I was young, look, the biggest mistake I made throughout my career is I didn't shine a spotlight on all the dope shit that I did, right? Like, I've done so many things. I don't even remember them all. Like, famous people come up to me like, yo, you did this to my career. Yo, yo. I was like, holy shit, I forget. Because I've shaped and shifted culture 
so much that I never like had a manager or a publicist running out saying, Oh, Clinton did this. Like, you like, like, uh, what we like DJ Khaled. He's a popular DJ in Miami. Nobody mm-hmm. knew outside of Miami. I flew down to show him how to market himself outside of Miami. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, it's just so many things like Akon and David Getter, uh, when they made the song Sexy Chick, it literally single-handedly changed radio. It became an EDM world. And that was yeah. me for two years. Yeah. It some Akon, yo, go work on EDM music. You're the only urban pop artist we have in America. You should do this music. And I was like, everywhere we go, what do we hear? I was like, you need to do that. And then one day he called me, he goes, yo, you know David Getter? I was like, yes. He goes, he wants me to go to the studio. And I was like, hang up the phone and go to the studio with David Getter. Right. Yeah. He called me and he goes, I got this record. I'm going to send it to you right now. Tell me what you think about it. Don't play it to nobody. I put it on. Burr, 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 burr. Damn, girl. I literally jumped. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I called. I was like, this is going to change everything. This is what I've been telling you to do. This record is going to make your whole entire career. And he's on the phone laughing. He's like, yo, you're crazy. I'm like, watch what this does. And literally, that was me pushing him for two years to do that. Like, I have a hundred of those stories, bro. And it's like, the world wouldn't know that unless you knew me. You know what I'm saying? But like in this book, this is not an autobiography, but in this book, when I'm giving you these strategies and tools of how to win big, I show you by telling you stories of things that were done. So I know once the book comes out, there's going to be a lot of like, holy shit, I didn't know you did that. Oh my God, I didn't know you were a part of that. Yo, you really cre- you really created world star hip hop? You know, like people wouldn't know that unless you knew me. You know what I mean? Unless you were Q, the owner. You know what I mean? My brother, who passed away, rest in peace. But, like, it was me that was telling him, yo, you should be an aggregator and go get all these videos of, like, people fighting in the club and stabbing and shootings and shit that goes on in the hood because all these white kids are going to love it. It's too dangerous to go near it. If they get to watch it on the Internet, they'll love it and it'll be huge. And that was the creation of the world star hip-hop. You know what I mean? But no one would know that. But, like like you said, you got to start. It's also a fine line from running out there saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. You know what I mean? So you have to just put it out there like, hey, this is some dope shit that I did. Hey, history, yeah. you might be interested. You know what I mean? It's really much easier to do it nowadays with social media to kind of like give subtle bars on your page uh, without saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah, yeah. And it's always, I guess, to to go across my, my if you could call it like a content philosophy, if you look at anything that I share on LinkedIn, it's it's always informative and I'm always trying to make it easy for people. I'll always share the article, but I don't want someone to have to read the whole article and oh. I want someone to be able to get more out of seeing my post than they would even by reading the article. So I'll put in some dot points and then I put in some other information that only I would know or only someone would know if you went and did that extra research. And it'll do the same for me too. You know, we worked with um, ex-MMA middleweight champion of the world, Robert Whitaker, on an ACS campaign. And, you know, I shared his video, but I talked about why. This is why the ACS approached us and this is why we chose to work with him and this is the results and this is why this whole campaign mattered. And it wasn't just, hey, you know, I'm a big dick. I achieved 30 million views on this video and I made a bunch of money. It's like, yeah, that's cool. A lot of people make a lot of money who aren't very nice and no one wants to know them. It's it's about, you know, what can you learn out of this experience? And that's how we connected, right? You sent me a message and said, you know, that thing you shared about FaZe, like I was responsible for that 40 million. And I went, holy shit, I had no idea. Let's talk about it. And here we are, and we're an hour and 40 minutes in, so we should probably go. <laughs> People are like, all right, was, the first hour was good. I'm out of here. 
<laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, we've we've kept we've kept pretty consistent over this time, and the the chat's been super strong. There's been some great questions in here too. So people have loved listening to you, and I can't wait to push this out for as an audio. I can't see anything, so I don't know what people are saying. Uh, but yeah, yeah that's right. anybody that's watched this. Um, if you want to talk to me or, or reach out to me at Clinton Sparks on all socials, and I'd happy to be happy to interact and engage and answer questions. And again, the link to my book is in my bio on at Clinton Sparks on my Instagram uh, or Twitter or whatever. And uh, I'd love for you to, to check out the book. It's free, by the way. The book will be free when it comes out. So you'd be an idiot to not get it if you really care about your career. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks so much, mate. And thanks to anyone who's watching live now on Twitch, LinkedIn, the video only VOD or the audio only version of the podcast too. We've got plenty more great guests like Clinton coming on soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Peace. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 